The vast majority of the people in the audience were poor. When I say poor, I'm not talking about can't afford to buy name brand groceries poor. Uh, these folks would have been thrilled with a bag of great value chips in their pantry and a six pack of Sam's Cola in the refrigerator. They didn't have either. In fact, if you looked in their pantry, you'd find cobwebs, maybe a little bit of dust. Their economic situation was don't work today, don't eat today. And that's how poor these Galileans were. And so when they saw this guy by the name of Jesus take five loaves of bread and two bite-sized fish and turn it into an all-you-can-eat buffet for a dinner party of thousands of people, they were intrigued to say the least. In fact, when Jesus suddenly disappeared the other side of the Lake of Galilee, they tracked him down within a day. One meal was great, but if Jesus would do for them what Moses did for the hungry Israelites in the desert, provide six meals a week, that'd make their life so much easier. And so we find this conversation taking place in John chapter 6 and verse 30 through 31. So they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. These people were all in on DoorDash Jesus if he had just played the role. <laughs> and centuries have passed, but people haven't changed that much, have they? There are a lot of people in the world who tend to evaluate the credibility of Jesus based on whether or not he kind of meets their desires. Jesus, are you going to come through for me when I need you most? Jesus, will you make my life easier? Jesus, will you provide for me everything that, that I desire? And if the answer is yes, Jesus, then I, I'll, I'll probably trust that you are who you claim to be. But, but if the answer is no, and any time the answer is no, then I, I just might question it. Is it true what you said about yourself? Now, whether or not we choose to believe... Jesus' credibility doesn't rest on whether or not he measures up to our expectations. The fact that Jesus was affirmed by God at his baptism is proof enough of his credibility. The end of John chapter 6 and verse 27, Jesus makes a statement that reminds us of this truth. He says, For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus is the very one affirmed by God, and he's been sent into the world to do his work, whether we choose to believe it or not, whether we understand whether or not we agree with every decision that Jesus makes for our lives. Jesus is credible in who he claims to be. 
But here's the question. Were these people wise in going to Jesus with their practical needs? Yes, of course they were. Because God has a heart for the hungry. We see this all through Scripture. God's servant Moses instructed the Israelites that I want you to leave the gleanings from your harvest for those who are poor and those who are foreigners among you. And then God's prophet Isaiah comes along and he says, I'm commanding those of you who have food to make sure that you share that food with those individuals who have none. And Jesus' son, Jesus, shows up and he says to his disciples, okay, you've asked me to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach you how to pray. Here's one element of your prayer life. Pray for God to give you your daily bread, but not just for your sake. We're going to pray this so that we're reminded that we take care of those who don't have any bread. And then God's apostle John writes to the early church, and he impresses upon them, listen, if you don't take care of those people in your midst that are in need, it's a dead giveaway that the love of God doesn't reside in your life. God has always had this, this place inside of him in which he was so concerned about those who are trying to survive on an empty stomach. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we should feel the same way. Uh, it should absolutely break our heart when we learn that there are 282 million people in the world who do not have enough food to live a healthy lifestyle. And when we hear stats like this, it should move us to feel more than empathetic. The truth is, Satan is very effective at convincing us, or at least he convinces me, that if I just feel sorry for people, that's an act of compassion. It's not. Hurting for the hungry is a good place to start, but it really needs to go beyond that. It needs to move into some type of action. And there are so many easy, practical ways that we can help those in our world, in our society, in our community, who are struggling with empty stomachs. Well, i just mention a few to you this morning. One is you can serve with Campbell Care. For those of you who are not familiar with Campbell Care, every other Saturday there are people here at the Campbell Church who hand out groceries to over 100 families just in our surrounding area who oftentimes aren't sure where food's going to come from. Each and every one of us bumped into people every day, it seems like, in various places out here just around us at shopping centers and at restaurants, and they're obviously struggling, struggling to some capacity, and we could debate all the different reasons why, but so many of these people, they're just, they're hungry. And if we had take the time to say, can I buy you a meal, they'd say Yes. And if you take the time to say, can I sit down and share that meal with you and have a conversation, it just might blow them away. You can volunteer at a food pantry. 
You can participate in the special contribution that we're taking to help those in Buffalo who are living in a food desert. And if you're not aware of what a food desert is, I would encourage you to look that up on Google. You can make donations to support those who are in Ukraine who right now are battling starvation and deprivation from the war as it continues to go on and on. And I want to share with you one of the ways this year that the Campbell Church is a new way that we're trying to help those who are in need. Uh, Several years ago, I had the opportunity, as many of us, all of us did, at the Naperville Church of Christ to meet an amazing missionary. Uh, This particular missionary and We have some guidelines about announcing his name on a live broadcast like this just because he is in such a dangerous situation. So I'm not even going to mention his name. I can tell you later, uh, just in a moment of privacy. But this particular missionary, he preaches uh, for the Dubai Church of Christ. He runs uh, a preaching training school on the border of Saudi where he is equipping young men to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into parts of the Middle East and plant underground churches where their lives are at stake every single day. And he oversees an orphanage in India where he's from. The Petrilla Children's Home, so many of those who are part of that children's home have been rescued from the sex trade industry. And now this children's home on site has a K through 12th grade school. You'll see a picture of it on the screen. These children now not only have the opportunity to be cared for, to have shelter and clothing and food and receive a a tremendous education, but they also have the opportunity to learn about Jesus Christ in a place where that's hard to do because of uh, Hinduism. And they're learning about Jesus. And now the Campbell Church of Christ is playing a role. That that money that you just gave, some of that money is going to provide two living expense sponsorships for for two kids and four educational expense sponsorships uh, for for children. I'm so thankful that we get to partner in this particular ministry. I'm so thankful to you for your generosity that allows us to do that. If you'd like to personally sponsor one of these children, there should be a QR code on the screen. You can see that. If you'd like to talk to me and learn more about it, I'd be happy to share with you information. But it just so happens this morning, the timing just happened to work out that the individual who overlooks that money, uh, Bob Perkins from the Naperville Church of Christ, Bob and Michelle are with us this morning. Just want to kind of wave your hand, Bob and Michelle. So they're good friends. James and Minda Lippy are here. They were here with us a few months ago, training us for Friends Speak. They're back uh, here for Sunday. And so I'm sure Bob would be happy to answer questions. And I, I'm gonna, I'm just going to kind of take a detour for just a second to say something about Bob. I, I talk to us often about how. Every part has a role to play in the body of Christ, and we're all different, designed differently, but it takes all of us to make this thing work and for us to be effective in the kingdom of God. And, uh, and, and Bob's a guy I, I think about uh, as well because, it, as he will tell you, and he said to me at lunch just the other day, he said, I, I'm not a person who's ever going to stand up and, and lead a prayer or do communion or, or preach a sermon. 
And that's okay, because I'll tell you what Bob does do. He's an extremely organized man who has an attention to detail, so he helps with finances. And he is a, a master craftsman when it comes to woodworking. And so the Naperville Church of Christ Children's Ministry has now all this great design and sets because of what Bob does with woodworking. And uh, he's a great photographer, and he'd go out to men's softball and take pictures and bless their families with pictures. And the church is blessed because he's using his skills and his talents for the glory of Jesus Christ. And each and every one of you have that in you to do the exact same thing. And I'm so thankful for the way you do it week in and week out. And get back on track, you say, well, if we do all of these things, will it really make a dent in world hunger? Maybe not. It's going to change the life of someone, though. And that's what matters. It will change the life of someone. And so God's deeply concerned about those who are, are physically hungry. But he has a greater concern in life. And that's for those who are uh, spiritually hungry. He cares so much about them. And the truth is, to some degree, most of us are spiritually hungry. We just don't tend to recognize it quite as well. When our stomach growls, we recognize it immediately. When our soul growls, when we have that kind of deep inner rumbling, Sometimes we don't pick up on it. Does your soul ever growl? Do you ever find yourself feeling empty? Dissatisfied? You ever find yourself asking the question, is this as good as life gets? You ever find yourself wrestling, is there something missing in my life? You know where those questions, those feelings come from? They come from deep within you, the soul, the spiritual nature that's just crying out to be addressed. And when our stomach growls, we have this tendency to what? We go to the pantry immediately and we grab our favorite snack food. For me, it's Lay's potato chips. I just address that hunger immediately. And when our soul growls, we have a tendency to do a lot of the same things. It, it, people have done it throughout generations. It looks a little different for a lot of people, but, but by and large, it looks the same. When the soul growls, what many of us do is we, we immediately go for a little more pleasure. And so we go to our favorite restaurant, and we have our favorite steak, or, or we spend more time on the golf course, or we take a trip to Hawaii. And for others of us, when our soul growls, we decide, no, what, what I need to satisfy that deep longing in me is more accomplishment. And so I work really, really hard to achieve being named all states, to get the scholarship, to get the promotion, to move into the corner office. For some of us, when that soul growls, we think, I need a trip to the, the mall. If I can just buy the latest pair of Jordans that I want, if I can buy the new car, if I can move into the bigger house, that'll satisfy me. 
Let's be real this morning. All of those things, they're, they're, they bring some pleasure and they bring some satisfaction. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not long before what happens. It's not long before the soul growls again. And you're caught in this cycle trying to figure out how to satisfy it. So that's why when this poor group of Galileans came to Jesus for food, he encouraged them in that moment, shift your focus. Take it off the material for just a moment and begin to pursue the spiritual. Jesus in John chapter 6 and verse 27 said, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures, endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. You see, unlike a loaf of bread from Knob Hill that very quickly it gets stale and it grows moldy, there is this bread is available that will once and all satisfy your soul. And it's amazing, isn't it? And where do you find this bread? Where do you take hold of it? Who's got it? Because we all want it, right? And Jesus goes on to say in verse 32 to 35, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Man, Jesus, this is the bread we want. Will you continue to provide it for us? And then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. How big is God's heart for the hungry? It's huge. God showed up and he fed those hungry Israelites in the desert manna because he cared about their physical hungry, hunger. But he's so concerned about the spiritual hunger as well that he has fed billions of spiritually starving people who have walked the earth ever since then. Jesus is the bread of life. And he and only he can truly satisfy our soul. Please hear me on that. Jesus, not a bone-in ribeye from your favorite steakhouse. Jesus, not a new pair of Jordan 1s. Jesus, not another trip to Disneyland. Jesus, not religious works. I want that to sink in for a moment because that's immediately where the mind of the crowd went to when they heard Jesus call them to take their eyes off the material and put it onto the spiritual. Listen to the question they asked Jesus in verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? The first thought they had when they heard about this bread that would forever satisfy their soul was this. What do I need to do to earn it? What laws do I need to keep? How many good deeds do I need to perform? How many days a week do I need to show up at the synagogue? How many times a day do I need to pray? 
Jesus, just how religious do I need to be to get a hold of this wonder bread that you're talking about? To this question, Jesus replied, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The bread of heaven is not something that you earn, it is a gift to accept. It's not gained through religious doing, but through believing. It is through believing with every fiber of your being that what Jesus says in John chapter 6 and verse 38 through 40 is true. And this is what he says, For I have come down from heaven, sent not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Here's my question. Do you believe that? You do. I do too. I do. But can I be honest with you this morning? There are still moments when my soul growls. There are still days when I wake up and I feel empty. There are still nights when I go to bed and I'm lonely. There are still moments when I ask myself, is this as good as life is going to get? And I have a hunch there are others of you here that wrestle with those same thoughts even though you believe it. Why is that? Why is it that those of us who believe that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God don't feel satisfied more consistently? Listen to the words of Jesus, John chapter 6, verse 53. Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'll raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. All right. Without a doubt, that is one of the most bizarre statements that Jesus has ever made, right? But it's also one of the very most important. Jesus speaks figuratively. He speaks figuratively to drive home this point. That it is in the blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary that you find life. And to have this fulfilling, satisfying life, you must ingest as much of him as you possibly can. You just keep going to him. And that's why many of us, though we're church-going, Jesus-believing people, still feel so empty. We get a little taste of Jesus here and there, usually on a Sunday morning for about an hour and 15 minutes. And then we spend the rest of the week just gorging ourselves on work, on entertainment, on recreation, on social media. And on and on it goes. It's kind of like having a diet of 5% veggies and 95% cotton candy. (laughs) And I love cotton candy. 
And it brings a lot of pleasure when I eat it, but if that's all you eat, it can leave you feeling pretty sick <laughs> and very dissatisfied. As many of the people have said in the past, too many of us get just enough Jesus to feel really miserable. And that's a bad way to live. You know, a shift occurred in many of our churches several decades ago. We shifted our emphasis from works to grace. No longer do we talk about eternal life as something to be earned. Uh, threatening people that if they don't attend church services, their salvation will be in jeopardy. If they don't uh, do the spiritual disciplines or get involved in ministry, they better pray Jesus doesn't come anytime soon. That's kind of gone by the wayside as well. And to tell you the truth, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that this shift has occurred from, from being a law-oriented to grace-centered churches. But I'm also afraid that maybe we made an error along the way. And the error, perhaps, in my opinion, is this, is we, we've just stopped giving people a good reason to do all those things that are so important to be connected to Jesus. We've left people with the impression that since you're saved by grace, that works don't really matter. I want to tell you this morning, works matter a lot. They matter a lot because they're in a living expression of your faith in Jesus Christ, but also because it is the way that it connects you and fills you with Jesus. It's spending time in the Word of God, Bible study, reading the Word, that you ingest Jesus because He's on every page from Genesis to Revelations. It's being here in this place in a community of other Christians, worshiping that you partake of Jesus because he says when two or three are gathered, I'm there in your presence. Jesus is here with us. It's when you're involved in ministry and you're serving those in need that you begin to feast on Jesus because Jesus says what you do for the least of these, you also do for me. It's in doing these things, it's in these works that all of a sudden we're filling the spiritual nature inside of us, and that hunger begins to lessen, and we become more satisfied. Because Jesus is the one and only bread of life. And I like the metaphor that He chose bread. Can you imagine if he would have said, I am the caviar of life? <laughs> who, who, who eats caviar, right? Only the lucky few. I'm not sure they're that lucky, being served fish eggs on a saucer plate with crackers. That, that doesn't sound lucky to me. <laughs> but you get my point. There's some food that's just for the wealthy, just for the privileged, but not bread. Bread's for everyone. And everyone deserves bread. And tragically, there are a million people, millions of people in our world that can't afford bread. And even more tragically, there are millions of people in our world that don't know Jesus. It must be our greatest concern because it's God's greatest concern. He's concerned about those who don't know His Son. You see, if all we do as a church is fill people's stomachs, we have filled the world in a horrible, horrible way. God's so concerned for spiritual hunger that He came in the flesh. He showed people the heart of God. He taught them about real life. 
He invited them into the kingdom of God. And he ultimately gave up his life so that they might have life. It must concern us. It must concern us enough to speak to our family and our friends about the one who can actually satisfy their soul. So on Tuesday, I had the opportunity to have breakfast with Lanny Tucker, who works for EEM. You remember Lanny. Lanny filled in for me a few weeks ago while I was off at graduations. And Lanny told me a story. Maybe he shared it with you when he preached on that day, so forgive me if he did, but I was so moved by the story. Lanny said that they were in Romania, and they met two young men that they weren't aware of. These men didn't know anything about EEM. And so they have this meeting, and they learned that these two young men had made the decision. They didn't want anyone to go spiritually hungry. And so anybody who expressed a desire for a copy of the Bible, they would make sure those people got a copy of the Bible. Lanny said, to date, those two men by themselves have given away 41, over 41,000 copies of the Bible. Funded it by themselves because they don't want anyone to be spiritually hungry. That's amazing. And it's amazing that we can partner with organizations like EEM to make sure that type of work flourishes and continues. Lanny shared with you that right now they're in the midst of a Bible for Kids campaign. This is the last week of that campaign. They're trying to raise $2.8 million. Currently, they're at 2.5. This will fund 560,000 Bibles for children and teens. We still have opportunity to participate in that and make sure that happens. So if you're interested in that, uh, please let us know. If, we, if you don't have the information, we'll get it to you. But so much good work is being done in getting the Word of God out to people. So here's my question. What's your next step? What's your next step to care for those who are hungry? Those who are physically hungry and those who are spiritually hungry. What's your next step? And you might be thinking this morning, well, I don't have a whole lot to offer. Let me take you back to last week. It doesn't matter how much you have to offer. If you place it in the hands of Jesus... The same Jesus who took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed over probably 10,000 people. He'll multiply that gift that you offer him to do more good work in this world than you can ever imagine.